Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. It is great to be back with you again. Shout out to everybody who's watching online at GetHope.tv as well across all of our campuses. And how about those of you in the room today? How are y'all doing? Yes, excellent, excellent. Well, we have an exciting night here. Uh, As Jason mentioned, we are going to be continuing a series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Characters, which is all about finding our role in the story of God. If you haven't heard the series up until this point, I want to encourage you to go back and check those out because uh, this is so vital. It's actually a series that I think can change our perspective and change the trajectory of our lives and what we find our purpose in. But if you haven't heard what we've talked about so far, I'll give you a quick recap to sum everything up. Uh, There is a story playing itself out in the world, and it's not about you. (laughs) And so if you've been around for a while, uh, congratulations. Maybe you've had some time to deal with that. If not, if this is your first time hearing that and it's a little bit jarring, don't worry. That's actually a really, really good thing. Because when the story is about us, there's so much pressure. There's so many different ways that we need to uh, feel the need to fill our role in that. But the truth is, is that we have a very specific role. You see, this story, it's unlike any story that we've ever heard before. Now, there is one similarity, okay? In most stories that we hear, there's a hero and there's a villain, right? Well, in this story, God is the hero. And when we try to figure out what our role is, we're actually the ones that are the villains. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of everything, but when the world was first created, God created us to be in relationship with him. That was our purpose, uh, to be in a deep, intimate relationship with him. But guess who messed it up? We did, absolutely. We are the ones who messed that up. And so ever since then, while we were the villain, while we played the bad guy in the story, God actually sent Jesus in on a mission in order to fix things for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us. And because of that sacrifice, we are able to have a right relationship with God again. It's unlike any story we've ever heard. Never before have we heard a tale where the hero dies for the villain. But then it gets even crazier because the hero actually invites us onto his team. And that is that is unreal. It's, it's crazy to think about. I mean, you think about the stories that we see play out in our culture all the time. You think about the Avengers. You know what's crazy about the Avengers? They go in, they save the city, and surprisingly, nobody tries to join the team. Have you noticed that before? Well, there's like two people that like Disney Plus is making money off of. But besides that, nobody tries to join the team. It's like Captain America steps in, he saves the day, and then everyone just goes back to their normal, everyday, boring, business-as-usual living. And my fear is that when it comes to living out our role in God's story, I think the same thing tends to happen. I think there are times where Jesus steps in, he's the hero, he saves the day, and we go, yay, Jesus, I'll wear your jersey on Sunday, I'll show up to church. But then we leave out the doors and we go back to our normal, everyday, ordinary, business-as-usual living. 
And this is a shame. It really is because our role as Chase uh, so clearly laid out for us last week is a role of service. We are all called into a life of servanthood and Jesus himself actually extends this invitation to us himself. And most of us in this room fall into one of three categories. And there's usually one of three ways that we respond to Jesus's invitation to serve. For some of you, uh, you've received that invitation and you're ready to do a cannonball into the pool. Like you've scanned all the QR codes, you've set up your first look, you're ready to go, you're ready to get in the game. And if that's you, I wanna commend you and thank you. For some of us, uh, we're, we're maybe not that far, but we're at least on the right track. There are some of you who say, God, listen, use me. I'm available, I'm ready. And you're just waiting in the car for God to tell you where to go. Like your foot is on the pedal and you're ready to give it gas, but you're being obedient in your waiting. Congratulations, we're proud of you. But then I'm sure that there are also some of us, um, I don't have stats the way that Chase did, but I have a hunch <laughs> that for some of us, we're still sitting on the sidelines. There's still an opportunity for us to get a game and maybe God has been so clear as to tell you what he wants you to do. You lose sleep about it. You think about it all the time. You say, oh, well, maybe next week. But for some reason, there is something that is keeping you sitting on the sideline. And I'm sure that if we took all the people that fall into that category and we lined everybody up side by side by side and we went down the line and said, hey, what are you waiting for? Why aren't you serving yet? A lot of us would probably go, well, what if? And it's right there. It's those two small words, what if? It's two small words that often become the biggest roadblock in us moving into a deeper relationship with Jesus and moving into a life of obedience through service. I know this is a silly example, but, but I think of the what ifs all the time. Like my brain is constantly running. Um, I do very unhealthy things to try to cope with that, like sleep with headphones in. Like you shouldn't do that. Pretty sure every like psychotherapist in the world will tell you do not do that. But it's the only way I can turn my brain off sometimes. I actually do the same thing when I'm in the shower. Chase told me that's weird. I don't know, maybe, whatever. But, <laughs> but I do the same thing when I get in the shower. We have a Google Home inside of our bathroom and half the time I'm just going, hey Google, play Taylor Swift. It was the first thing that came to mind. I don't know, play whatever, right? And the reason why is because I have to drown my thinking out because if not, everything's just gonna come spilling out. Confession, I write like 85% of my sermons in the shower. And every time the shampoo gets saved, like it is 100% success rate when I'm in the shower. So I play music in the background to keep things going. So just a few weeks ago, I'm standing in the shower and I hear my wife scream from the living room. And immediately the what ifs start. I go, what if she's in trouble? And then my brain goes to my deepest fear. I'm terrified of snakes. So literally the first thing I thought was, what if there's a snake in the house? How would the snake even get into the house? Maybe the dog was outside playing and then she grabbed it thinking it was a toy and brought it inside. What if Morgan's freaking out? What if she comes in here to get me? I'm not afraid of, I mean, I don't like snakes. I'm not gonna go out there. What if we have to call animal control? I didn't bring clothes in here. What if they need me to sign paperwork and I'm not dressed, right? Like it goes through the full gambit. I don't, and I don't know how it happens. And so the whole time, you know, I finished the shower. I mean, she's fine. She hasn't screamed a second time. So I'm, I finished my shower uh, and I get out and I'm getting dressed and she comes in and I go, hey, did you just scream in the living room? And you know what she said? No, <laughs> she didn't. It was someone screaming in the audience of the song I was listening to. 
And I turned and I looked in the bedroom, in the bathroom mirror and I go, what is wrong with you? How did you reach this point? Isn't it funny how oftentimes our what ifs play on our worst fears? And they usually go to the worst case scenario. When I heard her scream, I could have gone, Morgan must have found a briefcase full of money in the backyard. But no, like that's just as outrageous of an outcome. But my brain doesn't think positive. It thinks negative. It plays on my worst fear. And I think the same thing is true of a lot of us when it comes to serving. When it comes to serving, our what ifs are usually based in fear. Maybe for you, it's the fear of the unknown, right? Well, well, I would sign up to serve in the nursery, but, but what if I get paired up with a kid who just asks so many questions and I don't have the answers to them? What if I say yes and end up getting roped into more than I signed up for? For some of us, maybe it's the fear of rejection, right? Well, I would go and share my faith with that person in the coffee shop, but, but what if they've been burned by religion before and and they hate Jesus. Like, what do I do in that situation? Or what if I go and talk to them and they get offended and they cuss me out? Like our brains just go to the worst case scenario. Or maybe, and I think this may be the case for a lot of us, it's the fear of our security and our comfort. Man, I would do this, but what if it's gonna cost me something? God, I would go on that mission trip, but, but what if I get over there and there's a COVID spike and then I can't come back home? What if I get there and there's no clean water or electricity? Listen, I want to be clear. There, this, there's room here for valid concerns, okay? Even Jesus himself teaches that we should count the cost before choosing to follow him. But there's a difference between a valid concern and an excuse. See, a valid concern, it, it's usually a problem where we hope to find a solution, yeah, listen, my, my work schedule is a little bit too much right now. I don't know if I can put another thing on my plate. Maybe, maybe I can change my work schedule and then I can serve. But a lot of times an excuse looks a whole lot like an emergency exit. And it seems like the way that we can get out of doing whatever it is that God calls us to do. But I want to ask a question. What if instead of being paralyzed by fear, we were mobilized by faith? What if instead of being paralyzed by fear, we're mobilized by faith? And, and, and I think that another way to put that is I think that God wants us to realize that the story is not about us. I think God wants to destroy our mirrors and give us a window. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, when I stand in this mirror, I see myself. And usually my brain is gonna gravitate to all the worst parts. <laughs> My beard's not lined up right. I have a stain on my shirt, my shoe's untied, right? I'm always gonna go to the worst case scenarios. But I think that what God wants to do is he wants us to stop focusing on ourselves for a little while and instead come over to a window where you can look out and see something other than yourself for once. I mean, yeah, there, there might be a slight reflection of myself, but, but I even see past myself to a group of people that God loves and that he cares about and that he wants to experience his love. And these are people who, get, want to, uh, who he wants to experience his goodness and his greatness. But a lot of times we can't get the eyes off of ourselves. And let me tell you, I have good news and I have bad news. You ready? Uh, the good news is this doesn't just happen to you. The bad news is it doesn't just happen to you. <laughs> it happens to everybody. Everyone in this room at some point or, or another has dealt with some sort of fearful what if? 
And what ends up happening is if we aren't careful, we'll end up with an entire church that's full of people who are frozen by fear, thinking the next guy will do it or someone else will step up. But what if we were the type of people that were mobilized by faith? This is actually what God, uh, he talks about a ton in the story of the Bible. We see character after character and person after person who God is calling into a life of service. And some of them do a really good job and some of them do a not so great job. And so today we're going to take a look at the story of a man named Moses, uh, who, who he has dealt with a lot of these what ifs. So we're going to be spending most of our time today in Exodus chapter three and four. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and flip over that way. If not, it's okay. We'll have it up on the screens for you. But before we get there, I want to just set up a little bit for you how we get to this point. All right. Uh, the book of Exodus, it starts off with the Israelites and they have uh, taken, they have moved into the land of Egypt and they are thriving. Like they're building communities, uh, they're raising families, they're digging deep roots here in Egypt and they're doing great. So much so that the king of Egypt, he gets terrified and he goes, oh no, if we don't stop them, they're actually going to overpower us. So he puts two decrees in place. The first one, he says, we're going to take all the Israelites and put them in captivity. We're going to take them as our slaves. The other decree says, as our method of population control, all the Israelite baby boys, we're just going to kill them. We're going to kill the babies. We're going to take the Israelites and put them into slavery. And so that sets the scene. And even through all of this, God raises up a baby boy named Moses. He's one of the Israelites. And through an interesting turn of events, he actually ends up growing up inside of the palace of the king of Egypt. But one day Moses is out and about and he sees uh, an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Israelites. And so he steps in and actually kills the Egyptian. Now word of this starts spreading like crazy. And he thinks, I have to get out of here. I'm a fugitive. I need to be on the run. So he leaves there and he goes to a town called Midian. And he gets there and he gets comfortable. He gets married. He has kids. He even gets a full-time job working as the shepherd for his father-in-law Jethro. And one day while he's Tending to his sheep, he sees off in the distance there's a bush and this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's not, it's not burning up at all. So this gets his attention and he walks over and when he gets there, he encounters the voice of God. God actually starts speaking to him. Now I know a lot of us in here may be familiar with this story, but I want us to look at this through a new lens, okay? I want us to get out of the mirror and to stop thinking that this is all about us. And I want us to go over to the window and think maybe there's something about God that I can learn from this story. Because you're going to see how this mirror was actually a detriment to Moses. God starts speaking in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And, and check out what he says. The Lord told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. And Moses is like, yay, God. Good for you. It's about time. At this point, the Israelites have been in captivity for about 400 years. And so Moses is sitting there like, yeah, God, this is what you're supposed to do. You're the almighty and powerful God. You're the one who can do whatever you want at the drop of a hat. You should step in. You hear? Good. That's what I expect from you. You want to get involved? Good. That's what I expect from you. But then we reach verse 10. 
And God says, now go, for I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And if you take your Bible, put it up real close to your ear, you can hear Moses go, well, what if? And for the next 25 verses, Moses starts making excuses on why he's not going to be the one to step up and serve the people of God. We jump down a little bit. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And Moses, he starts protesting to God. He's not just like fighting his case. He is protesting to God. And he says, but God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And I don't know about you, but I've asked myself this question so many times. God, come on, you've been here for the entire series. I'm just a minor character. What role am I supposed to play in this? I mean, I, I can't do anything. I'm a small guy. I'm a fugitive. I'm on the run. At this time, Moses was actually around 80 years old. So he's dealing with that. Like, he's like, God, you've got the wrong one. I think he's trying to ask God, God, what if you got the wrong person? And it's funny because God actually doesn't answer his question. <laughs> well, he does, but he does it a little bit differently. You see, he takes away Moses' mirror and he gives him a window. You see, he doesn't tell Moses who Moses is. God starts to talk about who he is and what he's going to do. And God tells Moses, the beginning of verse 12, I will be with you. And Moses is like, what else you got? <laughs> that's it? You're just going to go with me? Like that's, it still feels like I have a lot of work to do here, right? He's like, listen, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? And this is a fair question to ask because in ancient Egyptian culture, they were worshiping over 2000 gods. So God's like, hey, go tell them that God said, let him go. And they're gonna be like, which one? So God identifies himself to Moses. God replies, I am who I am. Now for us, this is weird in our culture today, right? They'd be like, if I walked up to you and said, hey, who are you? And you said, I am who I am. I'd be like, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> but in this case, you know, there's, there's actually a little bit of issue with translating that phrase, I am who I am. You know, a lot of scholars don't really know if the phrase is, I'm the God who was or the God who currently is or the God who will be. And I think that the reason why we landed on this translation is because if you were to ask God that question, he would say, yes, <laughs> I always have been, I am now, and I always will be. Listen, I know the beginning from the end. Moses, I put you together. I know everything. I know the intricacies of how all this stuff works out. Let me tell you, you wanna know about my story? Let me give you a spoiler alert, Moses. And God actually lays out for him in the next few verses how this whole thing is gonna play out. He goes, you're gonna go to the elders of Israel. You're gonna tell them the plan. And they're gonna be like, yeah, we're cool with getting out of slavery. So you're gonna present that to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are gonna say, no, no, no. But then I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna cause plagues and I'm gonna do a bunch of miracles. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be amazing, Moses. All I need you to do is go. And again, Moses is white knuckling his mirror so hard that he can't even imagine how it is that God can do something differently through him. So we turn the page and we reach another chapter. We get to Exodus chapter four, verse one. Moses, excuse me, Moses protested again. He says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? 
right? Moses thinks, oh, I'm just going to walk in here. And what am I supposed to say? Hey, Pharaoh, let all the slaves go. Like, I know they're the backbone of your economy, but, but I was talking to a burning bush and it told me to do it. And Moses, Pharaoh's probably going to be like, yeah, you were talking to a burning bush, Moses. We get it. <laughs> but that is crazy. There's no way in this world we're going to do that. And so God is seeing, he's, he sees Moses standing there and he has this staff in his hand. And I just imagine God chuckles a little bit. And he goes, yeah, I can work with that. He goes, uh, hey, Moses, what's, um, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. I love that Moses answers him as if the God of the universe doesn't know what a stick is, right? Moses answers him. It's a stick. He says, all right, Moses, throw that stick on the ground. He throws it down and it becomes my worst fear. It turns into a snake. Ah! <laughs> Freaks out. And then what does God tell him to do? He says, hey, pick it up. I'd have been like, no, I got it. I got the point. I got the memo. He goes, no, pick it up. And right there in a moment, God is inviting Moses into an opportunity to turn his fear into faith. Moses picks up the snake, turns back into a stick. And I think God is just saying, man, look at what I did with a stick. <laughs> Moses, what do you think I could do with you? And for some of you in here in this room, you've probably been thinking about all the different serving opportunities. And you're like, how can God use me handing someone a cup of coffee in the coffee shop to do great things? How is me standing and waving in the parking lot with a Mickey hand on going to make any sort of kingdom impact? Well, let me tell you, we worship a God who specializes in doing a whole lot with a whole little. I mean, think about it. Moses is a part of this miracle. Moses is an Israelite. You know how the Israelites started? With one man who couldn't have kids. Moses is a part of that miracle and he still misses the point. So how can God turn you handing someone a cup of coffee into moving the kingdom forward? I don't know. But that's not for me to know because I can trust that God's going to do the heavy lifting. Maybe when you hand someone that cup of coffee and you smile to them, maybe that is the first time ever they came into a church and they were smiled at instead of pointed at. Maybe if you stand out in the lobby or in the parking lot and you wave to someone with that Mickey hand, you actually open a doorway for someone to experience truth. Do you know that we've heard stories before of people who said, yeah, I came to check Hope out, but I couldn't find a parking spot, so I left. Do you know there are people who would have come through those doors, heard the truth about a God who loves them, cares for them, and died for them, if only they could find a parking space? And that's the place that God is inviting us into. That is a place where God does his best work. He takes a little and he uses it to do a lot. We go down a little bit further and, and we reach verse 10. And, and Moses at this point, um, he stops trying to disqualify God. <laughs> He's like, okay, I get it. The snake thing was cool. You have a name. That's awesome. You're big, you're powerful, you can do whatever you want. And now he tries to find an indictment on himself. He tries to find a reason to disqualify himself from service. And he says, it says that, uh, that Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I have never been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. And God replies to Moses, uh, this is the first time we really see him really getting frustrated. He goes, Moses, 
Who makes a person's mouth? (laughs) Who decides whether they speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. God is saying, Moses, I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Listen, I know there are people here in this room who feel like, yeah, I would serve, but I'm not this enough or I'm not that enough or I'm not smart enough or I don't know enough about the Bible or I am insufficient. Can I tell you something? Can I, can I give you a little secret? You're right. <laughs> You're not. But that's okay because God does the heavy lifting. Listen, God works miracles and I don't always understand how they work. I don't know what it is that God wants to do. And maybe you feel the weight of that. Maybe you say, listen, I would go and tell that person about my faith, but, but I can't save them. Yeah, you're right, you can't. So all God is asking you to do is have a conversation. God, I know you want me to go to the other side of the world and, 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 and hand someone a bottle of water and, and proclaim the gospel, but that just seems like so much. Is it really? <laughs> In the grand scheme of what God is going to do in their hearts and in eternity, what he's asking you to do, it's, it's, it's so small, but it requires your obedience. So Moses, he runs through the gambit of all the excuses and, and he finally reaches a point where he realizes they're not going to work anymore. So he makes one final plea. In Exodus 4.13, Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, Send anyone else. Translation, no. I'm not going to go. And for the first time in scripture, if you're reading from cover to cover, God gets angry at someone. Verse 14 says, then the Lord became angry with Moses. The the Hebrew word for that, um, it actually paints a, a picture It says that he flared his nostrils at Moses. It's that look of frustration you've probably given your kids before. And he gets angry. And this gets my attention. What on earth would make the God of the universe get angry? Well, simple. He wants to show people his love. And Moses is saying, I'm not going to do that. God wants to use Moses as a conduit to show the Israelites how much he cares. He wants to use Moses as a way to prove that he sees and that he hears. And Moses is actively cutting off that avenue because of his disobedience. And that makes God angry. And I have to wonder, have there ever been any times when God flares his nostrils at me? And the truth is there is. I know this for a fact. I I drop the ball all the time on this. Just a few weeks ago, it's about two weeks Uh, I was standing at the Apex campus. This is after services are over. Everybody's cleared out of the building. And it's me and it's one other guy who's on staff here. And he's telling me the story about how he went to the doctor and he didn't get a great report. And uh, there was stuff going on with his body that was causing anxiety in his mind. And the entire time that I'm talking to him, I just, I really felt like you should pray for this guy right now. And you know what I did? I said, hey man, I'll be praying for you. And if you haven't been around church people for a long time, that means I'm going to forget by the time I get to my car. The next few days, it's like, it's eating away at me. I'm like, man, why, why didn't you pray for that guy? 
And I'm, I'm working through this message and I start to ask myself, what is my what if? What if it's awkward? Okay, but what if we flip that? What if God wants to show his love to someone and I say no? To be a better example of this, I got a, a text from my mom a few weeks ago and she goes, hey, Matthew wants to talk to you. Matthew is my, my 10 year old brother. And uh, so I call him up and I'm like, hey, Matthew, what's up? And he's like, Aaron, we went to the park today. And I'm like, oh, cool. He's going to tell me you saw a duck or something like short phone call. He goes, uh, we were at the park and there were these two kids, these two boys there that were bullying people. So I looked at Alexis, who is, who is six years old. She's our sister. And uh, he goes, Alexis, I don't, I don't think those boys know God. Do you want to go tell them about God? So they walk over and they go, hey, do, do you guys know anything about God? And they're like, yeah, we heard of him. They're like, do you know that God loves everybody? That God created everything and he loves everything that he creates? And they were like, I guess so. And Alexis, at six years old, goes, well, he loves the people you're making fun of, so why are you being mean? <laughs> I'm sitting there on the phone, I'm like, I'm bawling, man. I'm in tears. I'm trying to, trying to hold it back. Imagine like this moment right now. And um, <laughs> I'm trying to hold back the tears. And I go, Matthew, I'm so proud of you. Weren't you afraid? You know what this punk told me? <laughs> he said, why would I be afraid? God gave me the courage to do it. And it's, it's that moment when you look at a kid and you say, man, that childlike faith. What if I had that? What if I let God change my what if to a why not? Why wouldn't I care? Why wouldn't I step into that situation? Why wouldn't I want to be a part of what God is doing throughout the earth? Why am I staring so hard at this mirror that I'm missing out on everything that he has on the other side of the window? Why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? I think it's because I've been immobilized by my fear. I'm sorry, uh, uh, paralyzed by my fear instead of mobilized by my faith. So I started asking the question, like, okay, God, what does it look like? What does it look like to get rid of the excuses because I'm done with them? And so me and Morgan, we actually started doing something at home. It's called our no excuse board. <laughs> it's really fancy. We just cleared all the old Christmas cards off of half of our refrigerator. It's like one of the stainless steel ones. And we got an expo marker because we eat snacks and we like, we know we'll see this a lot. <laughs> and so we grabbed that expo marker and we wrote no excuses 2022 so that every day, we have to come into contact with those moments that God's inviting us into. And we have to eliminate the what ifs. The only fear that I ever wanna have is the fear of missing out on what God wants to do for his people, through his people. So if you're here and you've been on the fence for whatever reason, You've made the excuses and you look at them and you're like, man, is this just my emergency exit? Am I just looking in the mirror too hard? Let God take the mirror and look through the window. Let God 
play with your imagination to think of what he can do through you. Think about that what if. What if God actually shows up? <laughs> what if God actually does want to use you to do something amazing? And if you're in here and, and you're, you're just asking questions, you don't even know if you signed up for Team Jesus yet. Let me tell you something. Moses didn't know who he was talking to. <laughs> Moses didn't know which of the 2,000 gods that the Egyptians worshipped that he was talking to. But you know how Moses grew in maturity in his relationship? It was by serving. Give God your yes. And let's watch him do a whole lot with a whole little. What if we stopped being people who were paralyzed by fear and started being people who were mobilized by faith? I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come out and they're just going to lead us in a song. And really, I just want this to be a moment of prayer for everybody. To ask God, God, what are my what ifs? And how do we get rid of them? Jesus, we love you. And uh, we're thankful for this unconventional story that you invite all of us into. This story where you died to invite us onto the team. And God, my prayer is that none of us will take that opportunity lightly. I pray that each and every person in this room recognizes that that is our purpose. That is what we are put here for. We are here to give you the glory. And, and here's the truth. Whether we, give you, whether we are a part of that story or not, you're still going to get the glory. So why wouldn't we want to be a part? Lord, for those in this room who are still wondering, they're like, where do, where do I jump in? What do I do? How do I start? I just pray for clarity. That you will show them the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you've placed in their hearts. And how you want to use that as an avenue for others to experience your love. God, we love you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.